You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Psalm 46, we're going to read the psalm in its entirety. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Father, for this reading of your word. And Father, we do pray for the work of your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and our lives as we as we look to your word, Father. We pray that, Lord, you would be pleased to open your word up to our hearts and and open our hearts to your word, Father. Encourage us, O Lord, by this great song, by this great, uh, incredible word that we have from you here, Father. And we ask, O Lord, that you would apply it uh, to our lives and apply it to the, really, the, the situation that we find ourselves in. Well, Father, we ask that you would do this wondrous work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> As you all know, um, I'm really fond of preaching, what we call preaching through the books, where you you turn to a passage of scripture, you turn to a, a book or a letter, and you start with chapter one, verse one, and you work your way all the way through. And, um, you know, I, I think that that is probably the most effective way uh, to teach the whole counsel of God. You'll recall that the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, he says to the Ephesian elders that he did not shrink back from uh, declaring or proclaiming the whole counsel of God. And from there, we, um, you know, we conclude, we can rightfully conclude that it is the task of the, of the preacher to preach and teach the whole counsel of God. And uh, I won't live long enough to, to preach every verse in the Bible, but that doesn't mean we can't preach the whole counsel of God. And as you go through uh, these books, after you've, really, after you've taught through a few, a handful of books, you have probably covered every aspect, every at least every major theme in the counsel of God, because uh, many of these themes are taught in numerous passages and numerous places. And I find that when we teach through the books like that, we have a wonderful balance um, the, the, you know, the other alternative would be for me to spend every Sunday looking for a topic and trying to discern a topic, uh, that, you know, that would be good for us. Um, I, I don't have the wisdom to do that kind of thing. Uh, I think, and especially with the small church, what I have found is that preaching through the books in a, in a small church really helps with one thing. Once in a while, people will come and and they'll want to talk about something that's that's very um, that's going on in their lives, going on in their their walk. Um, and you know, we'll sit and we'll look at some passages, and we'll, we'll work through that. And and um, wouldn't you know it? Oftentimes, a couple of weeks later, there we find that same subject. Um, <laughs> it's in the text. And uh, what I'm thankful for is the fact that I. Being that I, I preach through the books, you know, I, I really don't determine what our subject is going to be next week. And that that really insulates me from any kind of charge of saying, hey, you know, you used my you used our talk together as uh, sermon fodder. I wouldn't want anyone to think that I've ever done any such thing as that. 
Uh, so I think it serves, it, it's so many other things I could say about this. Um, you know, you get the balance. Um, you know, it keeps me from just preaching on my hobby horses all the time. And it also causes me to grow. I mean, my assignment is whatever comes next in the, in the, in the text, uh, whether I'm real familiar with it or not. So it, it keeps me growing as well as keeping everyone else growing. Now, all of this to say is there are indeed times when, um, you know, we do deviate from that. And we've just concluded, you know, that with the season of Advent, you know, we concluded kind of a topical um, set of messages. You know, every year I want to stop what we're doing and focus on the incarnation of God stepping in time, space, and history in the person of Christ Jesus. And we do this again around Easter. I always preach a, a Palm Sunday message and a resurrection message. But, I mean, every Sunday is a, a celebration of the resurrection, but we especially look at it on Easter. And in addition to that, there are sometimes, there, there are seasons and times in the life of any congregation where the you know, the situation that we find ourselves in really calls for us to to look topically at the Word of God and to look for, uh, just to look for direction and look for comfort. And last week, I, as I said earlier in the service, I really did have a great burden to share Psalm 46 with you uh, because I think that as we, you know, We've closed 2020, and I, I have a sneaking suspicion that there isn't anybody that's upset about that, that 2020 has passed. In fact, maybe some of you got these things. One of the kids sent us a little cartoon that has this little mouse, and there's a mouse-sized trash can right next to the little mouse, and above the mouse is the number 2020, and the mouse grabs 2020 and hurls it into the trash can, and then 2021 appears, and then the mouse is jumping up and down. Um, I think that kind of summarizes it for many of us. Um, but, you know, as we move into 2021, so many people are feeling insecure and uncertain about, okay, what's next? What are we, um, what are we in for next? And um, where can we draw comfort and strength? Now, this may or may not be the actual emotion that, each one of you are experiencing, but I can I can say with certainty that you're rubbing elbows, unless you're like me, stuck, not allowed to rub elbows with anybody. You are rubbing elbows with people um, who are scared. And even with myself and Tammy being quarantined this week, I mean, we still got one of these, you know, and you can do a lot of ministry with one of these. And, you know, I was talking with a, a man earlier this week and nobody here knows him he's he's not someone that a person anyone knows in fact he doesn't even live in the tri-state area but he is a believer um he he's a believer he's very he's a very he's i would i would call him a very strong believer but he's just petrified over you know over what's happening and what's going on and what's next and and he you know um and I'll say more about that, but you know, the, to the this is this is the this is the way some believers are feeling. How about those who really have no anchor in the faith, who are not anchored in Christ Jesus? Who, uh, I mean, they're they're kind of lost to just kind of speculate about what's next. You know, um, a lot of people are very anxious. Uh, a lot of people are very scared. So Psalm 46 not only comforts us, but it teaches us how to comfort other people when we're experiencing anxiety. And Psalm 46 has provided strength and comfort to uh, countless uh, believers ever since it was published thousands of years ago. And probably most famously, it provided support, strength and comfort to the German reformer Martin Luther who wrote his, you know, what has come to be his most famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, is written after Psalm 46. And Luther himself didn't just find great strength from this psalm, but he also counseled even his closest colleagues with this psalm. We know from letters and we know from writings that 
There were times where Luther applied Psalm 46 to uh, his colleague Philip Melanchthon, for example, when they were in the very heart of the Reformation and 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 they were outnumbered and in really very much danger. And uh, Luther would apply Psalm 46 uh, to uh, to counsel Melanchthon with this. So it's a powerful psalm. And what I want to do this morning is just kind of briefly look at it verse by verse. And um, I'll spend more time in verse 1 than the rest of the psalm. Uh, you know, verse 1 being our scripture memory verse, you know, a lot of times we don't get around to memorizing those, but I, I would I would encourage you, if you don't memorize Psalm 47, currently I'm working on trying to memorize Psalm 46 um, just for myself. I, I find that this COVID stuff really affects your memory. Um, I'm finding that. it's um, It does mess with your, your memory. Someone said something to me the other day. I couldn't even remember what they'd said right after I got off the phone. So I don't know what that's all about, but... Um, but verse one, if you only memorize, if you if you only memorize any verse one, would be one of the crucial verses to memorize. Uh, try to memorize that this week because you'll find it to be really really helpful uh, in times of uh, anxiety. If you're not feeling anxious now, trust me, your time will come uh, when you do. And there are plenty of people around you uh, who are very anxious, and and this can be a gate. This can be a gateway, actually. Uh, to Christ and God could you very he could he could use you as easily as anyone else uh, to lead that person to Christ to lead them to the anchor. Now notice how the psalm starts. It starts with God, um, which is <laughs> we think well that's that's basic. Shouldn't we always start with God? I mean, should well actually how often do we screw that up? I mean, how often do we start with all kinds of other things? You know, <laughs> the starting point is God. Very first word, Elohim, is God. Um, it it says God is our refuge and strength. It's not government. Um, some may, and I hope none of us are doing this, but perhaps some of us are are sitting in front of Fox all day, you know, and looking at okay, all the things on there, or sitting in front of CNN all day, or uh, you know, I I couldn't. Um, I I I would like to discourage that as much as I possibly could. Um, because, you know, it's, you're not going to be sitting in front of a Christian message all day, that's for sure. Uh, even if you're on Fox and there is some language, you know, some God and country kind of language, um, I just want to warn you about any kind of God and country language. You know, after 9-11, these 9-11 services were popular for a while. Some of you will remember those, and and I was invited to speak at those things. And would you know it, I mean... Um, I was only invited to speak at those one time. I One thing I noticed was like people would invite me to speak to those things. And then when the next year rolled around, I wouldn't get a phone call. I, I was never asked to come back to a single one of those things. And at first I thought, what am I doing wrong? But then now as I look back, I just kind of laugh on it. I think it's really funny because there's a principle here. You know, when it's God and X, God and country or God and whatever, um, God is usually going to end up in the back seat and whatever follows the conjunction and is what's going to be center stage. And, um, you know, you go to those things. If you got a little too much Jesus about those things, don't be surprised if you're not, you're not asked to come back. Um, the psalmist doesn't do that. It's not God and anything. The psalmist here starts with God. And that is so profoundly important. One of the most important things that we're going to look at in this psalm. He starts with God. It is God who is our refuge and strength. Not government, not education, not uh, not even family. Um, you know, you can add any anything, any aspect of creation. It's not any of those things. It's God. God is our refuge and God is our strength. And let's think about this. I think we can all relate with a refuge. You know, what is a refuge? I think we all understand a refuge is a shelter. And um, shelters are important. And especially in times like we find ourselves now, I mean, people are trying to find refuge from uh, this virus or 
people are trying to find refuge from the economic damage that the virus has done, or people are trying to find refuge from all kinds of things. You know, one of the most famous songs that came out of the the Vietnam area was Give Me Shelter, you know, it's uh, uh, from the Rolling Stones. And, you know, it's I usually don't look to Mick Jagger or Keith Richards for theology. Um, not a good idea. But we can we can relate. I mean, the famous line is, oh, storm is threatening my very life today. If I don't get some shelter, yeah, I'm going to fade away. Um, you know, it's every generation can sing that. And I don't think that the word refuge needs a lot of commentary. I mean, we understand what a refuge is. It's a shelter. Uh, God is our refuge. This is for the faithful, that is. I mean, the unfaithful certainly does not have God as his or her refuge. We want to change that. Uh, we would like to change that fast. God is our refuge and our strength. Now, if we think about that, if God is your refuge, how foolproof your refuge is. You know, if you think about that, it is a foolproof refuge. Um, if God is your refuge. And if God is your strength, well, then how much strength do you have? Uh, there's absolutely no limits to your strength. And also, if all we had was really these first, what do we have? One, two, three, four, five words. Probably in most of your translations, they're the same, at least for that line. If we had just had those words, God is our refuge and strength, we would have an incredible statement, wouldn't we? I mean, if we think about that, and if we meditate on that, and we and we tease out just what that means, that means that we have a shelter, and that shelter is as foolproof as the Lord, and that shelter is as strong as the Lord. And try to think of a more, um, try to think of a, a, a more magnificent statement than that. Uh, yet, when we bring the second line in, the statement becomes even more powerful as if that could be imagined because we're told that God is our refuge and strength and he is a present help in trouble. Not just help in trouble, but a present help in trouble. Now, that would be an incredible statement, but it would be a statement, I mean, God could still be quite remote. I mean, he's present, but he could still be quite remote, kind of like, you know, um, you know, like the, the folks that sit in, in Nevada or wherever, and through satellite images, they, they watch events that are taking place around the world, and then they respond, uh, really within seconds, but nevertheless, they respond from a, a location that's on the other side of the world. No, that's not what's being said. God is not from the other side of the universe, uh, remotely being our refuge and strength, uh, able to respond within seconds. We're told that God is our refuge and strength and that he is a very present, you see that very present help in trouble. Uh, so he he is very present. And when you put this first line together, do you see how powerful it is? And how powerfully it can speak uh, to a moment of insecurity in a moment of uh, in a moment of um, of fear, and and now as we come to verse two, I want to lead you to this really incredible theological word. And I know a lot of you are really into theology, and some even pride themselves as being theology nerds. Um, and that's that's a cool thing. I mean, um, maybe the nerd thing isn't so cool, but the theology part's cool. Um, there's a a a really, it's not such a sophisticated word, but it's an important theological word that takes place in verse 2, and it's the word therefore. It's a word that's easy to skip over, and it's a word that um, a lot of times we don't realize just how much freight it carries. But the therefore connects verses 1 and 2, and it's because of all of the truths that we have in verse 1 that we have the conclusion of verses 2 and 3. Um, the therefore, because of the because of the facts, because of the certainty of verse one, therefore, we will not fear. 
Because God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble, therefore we will not fear. And here we see the linkage. It's an important linkage between faith and anxiety. It's a linkage that Jesus picks up in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, when he talks, in fact, why don't we go there? Um, If you keep your place in Psalm 46 and go to uh, the Sermon on the Mount, over the years at different times when I've sat down and helped people with anxiety, this is a passage that I've often turned to. Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 25. Matthew 6, 25. Keep your place in Psalm 46. This is a well-known passage. Jesus says there, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, Jesus is using a lesser to greater argument. Jesus often uses lesser to greater arguments whenever he's teaching. And, um, you know, he, he's pointing to anxiety. In fact, the, the, the anxiety that he's pointing in this passage is that anxiety that stems from lack, you know, the, the idea that we may lack necessities uh, or the anxiety over our lives, um, you know, if we lose our job, for example, what's going to happen to us um, without any income coming in? It, it, it is that situation that Jesus is speaking to. And I like to add this caveat whenever I'm looking at this passage. Um, the context of this passage is not the emergency room. We need to understand that. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've had people say, you know, I know we're not supposed to be nervous we're not supposed to be anxious and they're saying this when they're in the emergency room hey wait a second that's not the context of this passage uh we do not have a a word in the scriptures concerning our loved ones when we're in the emergency room do we Uh, we do not know how that's going to work out and one of the consequences of loving people is you're going to be anxious some of our prayer concerns this morning uh, concern, you know, as we're praying for mom and dad with COVID, we're praying for Donna, we're praying for others. There's undoubtedly unspoken requests here. Um, you know, that's a different matter. And um, that's a heavy burden whenever people misunderstand and they think, uh, we're not supposed to be anxious about this, you know. Well, we don't, you know, the Apostle Paul was anxious for the churches. And the fact is, he didn't have he didn't have access to the decree to know how this was all going to work out. And that's a blessing we don't have access to the decree to see how it's going to work out. What this is, is this is anxiety over your life. It's over provision. It's over the food that you're going to eat and the clothes you're going to put on. In other words, it's over necessity. And Jesus is doing the same thing that the psalmist is doing. Uh, Jesus is pointing to the linkage between uh, what we believe and how we feel. In other words, He's pointing to the linkage that's between anxiety and faith. Now with that, if we turn back to Psalm 46 and we look at our psalm, uh, there God is our our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And if we think about the passage of Scripture that we read earlier in the service where the disciples are in the boat with Jesus and they're in the midst of a storm and they wake Jesus up, He's sleeping comfortably in the stern of the boat. And they say, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? And what's he say to them? He says, why are you afraid? Um, Oh, you of little faith. And he makes that connection. He makes the connection between what we believe and how we're experiencing life's difficulties. I'm I'm drawing this out because I want to show that faith is a wrecking ball to anxiety. It's a wrecking ball. It destroys anxiety. It breaks anxiety down. And um, it is the antidote to anxiety. As we encounter people 
who are very anxious, this, this is the kind of thing we need to share with, with folks. And we need to preach this to ourselves as we experience anxiety ourselves. Now look at verses 2 and 3 a little bit closer of Psalm 46. Back to Psalm 46. Notice in the ESV, I, I, I love it because it, we have the word though four times. And as I'm working on memorizing verses 2 and 3, I'm just putting though up as pegs. And I'm thinking, okay, we got four of those. Now what follows each one? Well, the first one is the earth gives way. Now, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Now, I can think of two ways in which the earth could give way. One would be an earthquake. The closest thing I came to experiencing uh, uh, an earthquake was experiencing the tremors that happened, I think around in 2010. I was actually in the building counseling a man. We were sitting in the kitchen area at a table, and all of a sudden the building started. It was like, if you can see my picture, it was kind of like this clockwise, counterclockwise motion. We both, I was talking, we, we were both talking together, and all of a sudden we're just staring at each other, silent, because we both experienced this this movement back and forth. And as it turned out, I think the earthquake was in Virginia maybe, but it was felt all the way up here and up into the northeast. But the Holy Land, um, they experienced earthquakes. And, you know, that uh, that has to be a very frightening thing when all of a sudden the ground just starts to shake violently. Um, another example would be these sinkholes. You know, years ago when we were in the music business, we used to travel to Nashville a couple, uh, once a year in the summertime for a, a show. It was a merchant uh, show. And we would go right past the Corvette Museum in Kentucky and uh, maybe some of you have been there, I don't know. But um, the Corvette Museum housed a bunch of really valuable, some of the most valuable Corvettes uh, in the world. And a few years back, uh, that the floor of that museum actually sunk 30 feet. And those valuable cars plunged about 30 feet, 30 feet into a bunch of mud. And they have since restored most of them. But from what I understand, one or two of them were so damaged they couldn't be restored. Um, so there, the, the the idea of the earth giving way, um, th that would be a terrifying thing. Uh, if you look at the second part of verse 2, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, you know, here not just simply the mountain being moved, but being moved into the heart of the sea, you know, as you travel downstate of West Virginia, you know, you, you start to run into those hills and, before long, the, the terrain becomes very mountainous. You see those huge hills. Imagine the power it would take to take one of those mountains and just hurl them um, three, four miles out into the sea uh, to where I don't know if that would take you clear out to the heart of the sea or not. Probably not. You probably have to go further than that. Um, or um, in verse three, though its waters roar and foam, you know, rushing water is one of the most powerful forces that we can think of in this life. And um, here in the end of verse 3, you see the mountains trembling at the swelling. And you know, mountains, by the way, are often used by the psalmist and used by the prophets as emblems of security. Uh, I'll give you just one example. Uh, P, um, David often refers to God as his rock, doesn't he? The Lord is my rock. Um, and here... Uh, notice the imagery is different where that which is often an emblem of security is uh, trembling at the swelling of the sea or actually being picked up and hurled into the ocean. What's going on here is the psalmist is employing his imagination to go out as far as the limits of his imagination will take him in order to plot a catastrophe that's almost unimaginable. And he's using that catastrophe uh, to, sh to, to show, listen, God is our refuge and our strength. He's a very present, very present help in trouble. Even if these things were to happen, um, we will not fear. Uh, why? Because our refuge uh, is foolproof. Now, <clears throat> again, we can see where the lack of faith can cause a real problem. In fact, in Leviticus twenty-six thirty-six, you might write, you might jot that down. You don't need to turn there. 
But in Leviticus 26, we have a couple of words about this. And in verse 36, we're, we're shown that uh, the wicked uh, are driven actually by the sound of a fallen leaf. And I don't know if anyone's ever been able to observe what a fallen leaf sounds like. I don't think I've ever heard what a leaf sounds like as it hits the grass. I mean, they just kind of glide through the air, don't they? And I've never really, until I read that verse years ago, I never really thought about a leaf making any kind of sound when it hits the ground. Uh, but here, the, the imagery is that the, uh, the wicked are anxious and they're insecure. And for good reason, um, they, they are driven by a fallen leaf. Uh, in verse 17 of that same chapter, we're told that the wicked, pers- the wicked flee when no one pursues them. And Calvin was very fond of using that language, that you know, the wicked flee when no one pursues them. And that you'll, you'll find, it's not hard to find that going on right now. Uh, a person who is not grounded in their faith is going to experience uh, a lot of a, a lot of this anxiety because they because here's here's the fact if if God is not our refuge then some aspect of creation is our refuge and there's one thing that all of us know quite well is that any aspect of creation is not a foolproof refuge is it i mean we all know it's not foolproof and we all know that it lacks strength and we all know that something could happen uh, so therefore, there's going to be uh, the anxiety. There's going to be uh, the uh, uh, the uh, the insecurity. But faith breaks that down. Faith faith produces uh, security. Uh, it rids us of the chaos. If you look at verse four, notice it seems kind of out of nowhere. We get verse four, and we're told there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And the imagery there of the river is um, simply what's meant by the river is God himself. We could say all the gospel graces are meant there, but where do the gospel graces have their source? They're all in God. I think the best explanation of that is God himself is the river. And God um, uses a body of water, a flowing body of water, to describe himself in in, uh, Isaiah 8, for example. Uh, where he says to Isaiah, because this people have, um, they have refused the waters of Shiloh, he says in that passage. Um, what God is, is referring to there is the people have refused him. They've rejected him. He is the waters of, of Shiloh, if you will, that flow gently. And of course, Ahaz in that context, King Ahaz, is, he's leaning on Assyria of all things instead of the Lord. And I, I think here, and Ralph Erskine, a, um, a preacher of old, uh, he took the same position that the river is God. And, and you could write these down and look at these verses later. I was going to go into them, but I think it'd be too much. Uh, Jeremiah 2.13 uh, is a very well-known passage. You could look at that later about the cistern um, where God is likened to a body of water. And Zechariah 13.1 where I think we could see that the sun, if you will, is likened to uh, water. And of course, in our studies of John 4, uh, John 4.14, 4, we would have the Holy Spirit likened to water, uh, living water, if you will. Uh, John 7.38-39, you could look at those. And looking at the teaching of the rest of Scripture, I think we can see that the river there is God Himself. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And it's a gladness that's not circumstantial. You know, the earth could be giving away, yet this river still makes the people of God uh, glad. Why? Because our biggest problem has been solved. Our biggest problem is our rebellion against God. Our biggest problem is the fact that we've sinned against God. And God has come in the person of Christ Jesus to take the cross, to die for our sins. And um, he... um, on the third day, he, he rises from the dead. And, and for all of us who've put our faith and trust in him, our biggest problem is solved. Um, it doesn't mean our other problems are, uh, are, are inconsequential or we don't want to diminish them. They're real. Uh, but our biggest problem being solved, we can put all of our other problems in perspective. If you look at verse 
6. Um, well, verse 5, God is in the midst of her. Uh, she shall not be moved. God is in the midst of his city. Um, they shall not be moved. In other words, God is in our midst. That's another way of saying Emmanuel, by the way. Um, God is in the midst of her. Emmanuel means God with us. And of course, Jesus reiterates that promise. Jesus promises to be with us always to the end of the age. In verse 6, we see the nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. On the news right now, and I haven't spent very much time watching the news, but on the news right now, many of you are aware, I mean, there's a lot of noise about China, a lot of noise about Iran. And and that's, you know, these are important things. Um, they're very important. I don't want to diminish them in any way. Um, but this is the posture of the world always. There's always somebody that wants to dominate the entire world. If you look through history, there's never a really a lapse of that. Um, you know, the nation's rage. You got verse 6 there in Psalm 46, and it reminds us of Psalm 2. You know, you can look at Psalm 2 later, but uh, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of themselves set themselves and the, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing. You know, we have this happening uh, in every generation. And, um, uh, of course, this is always going to be the case with the world. Again, I, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't say this to say that we shouldn't care. We should care because once in a while when these guys do get power, um, and, and when their power does increase, they do oppress a lot of people. There's a lot of people in China being oppressed, and we should care about that. Uh, we should care deeply about the people that are being oppressed everywhere. Um, but notice verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Again, this is another way of saying Emmanuel, God with us. But notice, notice how God is with us. We're told the Lord of hosts is with us. And you might read that and you might think, I don't really understand that. It doesn't mean much to me. Uh, in Luther's hymn, he uses the word Sabaoth. How many have heard of Sabaoth? Raise your hand if you've heard of Sabaoth. Um, Sabaoth, that's the Hebrew word. And what it means is Lord of hosts. Now, what does Lord of hosts mean? It means that God is a commanding officer of a mighty army of angels, is what it means. You know, Jesus, when on the night that he's betrayed, Peter pulls his sword and, and takes off the ear of one of the of one of the uh, captors, and and um, you know, uh, Jesus says, "Listen, put your sword away. Don't you know I could call to my Father any time, and there could be a uh, you know twelve legions of angels uh, here. Um, the Lord is a commanding officer of a myriad of powerful angels." And we're told that this commanding officer of a myriad of power, powerful angels is with us. And here's a word of encouragement if you're memorizing Psalm 46. Listen, memorize verse 7 and you got two verses memorized. That's always great when you can get a two for one. If you look at verse 11, uh, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Uh, so there you see the same thing being repeated. It's being emphasized is why it's being repeated. And in verses 8, 9, and 10, I won't say a whole lot about this, just a couple of comments and I'll close. But in verses 8, 9, and 10, we get some directives here. Uh, Psalm 46 gives us some homework to do in verse 8, 9, and 10. And um, you'll notice, and, and, and by the way, oftentimes when I've, when I've tried to help people with anxiety, I, I usually do give them homework to do. And what's interesting here about this homework is in verse 8, notice that um, the psalmist says, Come, behold the works of the Lord. Now, this is something the psalmist is always doing. He's always looking back to things that the psalmist has done, or things that God has done, I'm sorry. He's always uh, looking back. and In other words, he's looking at God's resume to look at how God has handled things in the past, to look at how, because as we look at how God has handled things in the past, then we can be encouraged about how God's going to handle things in the future. When we see that God's been a powerful deliverer in the past, we can know He's a powerful deliverer in the future because God doesn't change. And here the psalmist calls us to behold the wonders, to behold the works of the Lord, if you will. Now, but what's actually surprising about the psalm is what he says next. 
Okay, that he calls us to behold the works of the Lord is not surprising at all. But what is surprising is what he says in the second line, how he has brought desolations on the earth. Say what? Um, how he has brought desolations on the earth. I, I personally would never think to do that if I was counseling somebody with anxiety. I wouldn't think to to counsel them to look at how God's brought desolations on the earth. That'd be the last thing from my mind. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's the first thing that uh, the psalmist counsels us to do. Doesn't it seem surprising to you? I mean, we would think to ourselves, my goodness, let's not, let's not point to Noah's flood. I mean, let's not go there. I mean, uh, there's an example of how God's brought desolations on the earth. Uh, hi, Jimmy, how you feeling? Oh, man, I'm really anxious. Uh, oh, yeah, did you know the Lord destroyed the whole world with a flood? I mean, that's not something we usually think about, is it? That's something we're going to say, you know, that, that's not the first thing that comes to my mind. But it's the first thing that's listed by the Holy Spirit um, here. How he has brought desolations on the earth. Um, you know, I, this man that I mentioned earlier in the in the sermon, you know, who I, I would describe him as a very strong believer who's very anxious about this coronavirus. Um, I suggested to him that God is sovereign not only in the in the good things that come into our lives, but the bad things. And I could I couldn't see him. We we're talking on the phone. But I could I know him well enough to know that he was having trouble with that. And um <clears throat> you know, here's one of the verses that teach us that God is sovereign over uh the desolations that come upon the earth. Um it couldn't be clearer. Uh God has brought desolations on the earth. Um and it this is this is an antidote to anxiety. Uh this is to help us. Uh, all of these desolate it, it helps us it helps us and comforts us in this way that God is in control even of all of the bad things. Now you guys know this because you hear me talk like this all the time. But I'm pointing this out to you to show that first of all, it's the first thing that the Holy Spirit points to. And secondly, the people that you're probably going to be trying to help, um they they might be hearing this for the first time, actually. Uh, and if they have heard it before, um, I, I think that a lot of times we want to try to defend God and we want to say that, you know, okay, God does all the good stuff, but he couldn't possibly be involved in any way in, in the calamities that happen. But that's just not true. That's not biblical. Uh, God is sovereign over it all. And it's all working uh, towards um, the uh, the bringing in of the new heavens and the new earth. By the way, you know, our scripture memory verse from last week was, Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. You realize Jesus can't come until this, until a real job is done on this earth. I mean, um, there's going to be a tremendous amount of desolation that takes place to this earth before Jesus uh, will bring in the new heavens and the new earth. So um, people will, you know, we, we, can, we can debate about what that looks like. Uh, but we can be rest assured there's going to be desolations. And it's the first thing that the psalmist brings us, uh, brings our thoughts to. In verse 9, we get that we like verse 9. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow or the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Uh, that's simply bringing wars to end. God is going to bring all these wars to an end. The horror and the suffering of war will not go on forever. That's a good thing. Verse 10 is probably the most difficult of the verses for us to put into our lives. And it's simply be still and know that I am God. And what does it mean to be still and to know that he is God? What, what are we being called to do here? Jonathan Edwards commenting on this verse. He said to be still before the Lord is uh, of, of many things. It's certainly to... Um, be still in words, uh, to be quiet in words. You know, um, children that that have respect issues with their parents who do not respect their authority, they push. They um, they'll talk back. Um, when I was a kid, the phrase was used, "mouthing off." Um, Jonathan Edwards didn't use the phrase "mouthing off." It probably wasn't popular in the 18th century. Or he probably would have used it, perhaps. I don't know. But when I was growing up, the popular verbiage was mouthing off. And um, 
we were taught pretty forcefully, you don't mouth off to your parents. And um, that was something that we didn't tolerate in our home uh, either. Uh, and sometimes we can be guilty of doing this. Be, you know, we, we, we fail at this whenever we say, Lord, why are you doing this? Um, and it's okay. I mean, it may be okay to ask why the Lord's doing this, but to try to give the Lord direct directives and how he should do it a different way is actually to pull God away from his throne and to see it ourselves there, is it not? Uh, do you follow what I'm trying to say? Let me give you an example from my own life and how I have sinned um, in, in this way. You know, it's nine years ago to, the, to this very month that um, I got the job at the courthouse. And I didn't want the job at the courthouse. I've told many of you that. I did not want that. We started planting the church in 2008. We had X amount of dollars to plant the church with. By, 2000, by, by January of 2012, that money was gone. We didn't have any money to continue planting this church with. And, okay, how are we going to continue on? Well, I'm either going to start doing fundraising all the time or... Or I'm going to have to go to work and, and raise funds, support myself so I can continue to, to plant the church. Well, um, before I could even think about raising fundraising, this job presented itself. And, and after I realized that, okay, this is what the Lord has for me, um, I, you know, I, I've, I think I shared with Jim and Tammy um, a few years ago, um, I handled that like a, a spiritual brat, actually, um, you know, I was like, Lord, that's not what I want to do. This is not in the plans. I mean, um, this I have. We've got twenty hours of counseling on the average going on every week here. It wouldn't be humanly possible for me to keep up with twenty hours of counseling and have a Bible study and a sermon together that's worth anybody spending a half an hour or an hour with me. It's just, and, and then work a forty-hour job. It's not possible. What do I get rid of? I don't want to get rid of anything, Lord. And, and you know, I, was, I thought I was being really respectful of the Lord as I, was, as I was going through all this. But in fact, the matter is, I was not still before the Lord. And the fact is, we can't see the big picture, can we? Can there, any one of us actually see the big picture? You know, can we not? Um, can can we, 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 we see like, we don't even see this much of the picture. And sometimes these things roll into our lives. And uh, I mean, I, you know, some of you might not think this is a big deal, but I can remember being almost devastated by having to go to the courthouse. Um, it was like, okay, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to disband this 20 hours of counseling. They were all unbelievers. Almost all of them were unbelievers. And I was sharing the gospel with them. And I'm going to have to quit doing that. Um, it, it really... I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to tell everybody? But what happened in February was they started canceling on me. I never had to tell anybody. Um, I had the counseling scheduled, and one by one they would call and cancel. Then I couldn't get them on the phone, and the Lord dried that, dried that up. Um, so just an example of how I've been a spiritual brat uh, once upon a time. Um, perhaps maybe you'll flesh this out. Uh, this idea of being still and knowing that that He is God is something that uh, I don't think we ever really get down in this life, but it's something that we uh, we need to to work towards and and look at. I mean, if God is our refuge and strength, He's a present help in trouble. He's with us through all of these things. We don't know why all these things come. Why is twenty twenty the year that the coronavirus is going to go out throughout the world? You know, why is Tina grieving over the loss of her brother right now? We don't know the answer to all these questions. Some of you are grieving losses right now. Why is all that happening? We don't know the answer to that. It's pastorally cruel for anyone to attempt to answer those questions. It's, it's pastorally cruel to try to do that. But we can't see the big picture. Uh, we can't see the big picture. And what we've got to do is be still before the Lord, call on the Lord to... Um, to increase our faith, to call upon the Lord to uh, uh, to um, uh, to bless us and strengthen our faith, so that uh, so that our resolve can be peaceably in Him. Notice what He says after this: "says I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth," and that's a promise that we have. 
God is promising to be exalted among the nations. All of these leaders right now that are doing everything they can to take any vestige of God's law out of public life uh, will one day bow their knees to the Lordship of Christ Jesus. Um, Let's pray that they repent before they meet Jesus, but um, they will bow. Uh, God, there's his promise. He will be exalted among the nations, and he will be exalted uh, in the earth. And that is something we need to keep before us always. Um, Verse 11, we have verse 7 repeated as a refrain. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Um, Just a reminder again that God is with us. My prayer is that um, you can use this. and uh, I'm throwing a lot of information out there. I know I am. and um, You can always listen to this again. It's recorded. Um, I got my recorder running right here on my desk. Um, And, you know, you can... You can go back and listen to this. You'll find this is basically what you do whenever you're, whenever you're talking with someone who is just littered with anxiety. This is it. I mean, this is what we do. And this is what we preach to ourselves as anxiety comes into our own lives. As here we find ourselves in the first Sunday of 2021. Uh, there is a lot, of in, a lot of uncertainty, but there always has been. And um, these are the tools that we use in order to walk faithfully with the Lord. Uh, through these ups and through these downs. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we so thank you, Father, and praise you for this word that you've given us, Father, uh, which is so comprehensive. There's so much more that could be said about it. Um, It is so comprehensive, Father. And we thank you that in this one place we 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 can see so very much, Lord, Uh, from Psalm 46 that can comfort us. And Father, we see here that we receive the tools to help people with anxiety. And how wonderful is that, Father? Everyone who is here this morning listening to uh, this or everyone who will listen to a recording later of this can learn from this the tools to help somebody with anxiety and how paralyzing anxiety and fear can be uh, we we can be involved in the wonderful work of helping people and lifting them out of insecurity and fear to embrace Christ Jesus, the anchor. So, oh, Father, I pray that, Lord, you would apply these things to uh, these wonderful souls that have logged on this morning. Father, I thank you for uh, this church family and everybody who is here with us this morning. I ask for your blessing to be upon them. Apply these wonderful principles uh, to our hearts, Father. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.